here with Cred today. Cred, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing Good. well. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be here with you. I've switched it up on you there because now's the part where I tell you that we are presented by FTX. Go to weeklyopen.com slash FTX. Check it out. Trade there today. Do it nice and easily directly from any app. Check out all the different things they've got going on with the FTX app at weeklyopen.com slash FTX. Thanks to them for being our partners. Um, Craig, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, and the uh, the market's down since we last chatted. The Your prediction for the merge went seamlessly. I made no adjustments to my portfolio, so I'm uh, more poor than before. Um, Oh, that I, rhymes. That that needs to be a T-shirt. <laughs> More poor than before. <laughs> yeah, you a know, I should have known. Should have known. I'm traveling, and then it's like to verify it. I meet Kobe in person. Like, why would I expect up days? Right. Uh, plus, I sell the news potential. So, if you have a sell the news potential, then why not just sell the news? So, <laughs> that's what the market did, huh? Tell that to past ledger. Also, yeah. did you see the CME? I think they listed some sort of like ETH futures. Oh, around no. the same time, no, uh, like I didn't see that at all. The, around the date of the merge, I think it might have been Micro Futures or something like that. Oh, there good. was like a CME ETH product listed around that time, which went under the radar a little bit. So, as far as non-technical meme sell signals, you had Ledger traveling, meeting Kobe, and CME posting more crypto <laughs> stuff. So that that that's your kind of trinity there. That's not very good. And Don isn't here, as the audience may have noticed. Uh, he's trapped in Germany. Uh, he went over to visit his girlfriend and hasn't come back. I'll lead you to uh, arrive at your own conclusions. But there's a funny Twitter thread going on where it's just his relationship. So the first one is like, I'm meeting this girl. Then like, oh, I'm in love with her. And then it's like, I'm going to marry her, all that type of stuff. So if you're into that, I guess you're going to follow Don. You know, that's where you look. But he did the classic sort of German exit as far as Don goes, where he kind of comes in. You know, he's hyper bullish, the num- number go up, and then he just dumps everything, just complete fire sale, mutes it on our heads, and then it, it dies, and then he's he's nowhere to be seen. This is sort of quintessential Don in action here. Like, you remember, I'm sorry to, like, ramble on about this. Like, no, when fine. the recording for last week's show ended, I was just like, oh, this is fucked. You know, the entire market's held up by the merge. As soon as the merge is over, we're all screwed. And Don was like, well, what if the merge actually is the catalyst for setting off the next bull market? You know, like that type of thing. <laughs> and then he was the same guy, like making sure that doesn't happen <laughs> by by selling all his ETH and Cosmos and all this other stuff. So yeah, that's the kind of the lay of the land for the time being. Well, I haven't looked at charts properly in over a week. So this is the first time uh, that I have. And this morning so far, for the most part, I was kind of depressed looking around. And now on the show, I click a bit of hopium here we are, right? Just, you know, buy the 200 week and walk away, right? Right? Oh, yeah. That's right? working really well for Bitcoin DCAs, <laughs> right? They've been buying that thing for a while. It's funny how, you know, on the way down, the 200 week moving average was just, even on this show, was the be all end all, yeah, especially yeah. Bitcoin. Uh, mm. And then uh, even narratively, like on Twitter and stuff, it was like, oh, look, historic bear market, so on and so forth. But then as soon as it fizzles out, like no one gives a shit, right? So if you were logically consistent with it, you would say, oh, because this thing is so important for like uh, downtrend reversal, presumably the strong signal, you know, there's an equally strong signal generated if it fails. But what we did in typical kind of crypto Twitter fashion, you pay attention to a thing if it fits your bias. And as soon as it stops, you can just delete it from your charts and say, well, you know, maybe there's <laughs> another one somewhere or focus on something See, else. I don't delete it. I just say, well, now we just got to look at the reclaim potential, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That, that's also a good uh, cope mechanism. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, have you noticed people have been speculating as far as like, oh, what does it mean if there's no weekly open episode? That means it's time to dump, you know? <laughs> I got tagged in some tweets saying, there's apparently like some sort of strike rate associated no, with we, bearish price action and weekly open like uh, being delayed for a week, which is funny. We we debated you guys doing the show solo, uh, and it's not the same without you, Ledge. Well, I don't. I think it would have been fine, but um, I think it was just an excuse for Don to continue his summer vacation. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, I I was sad to miss it. However, if I tried to join, it probably would have gone horribly because <laughs> in all of Europe, I really struggled for getting reasonable internet. So, um, I didn't have the best yeah, connection last Monday. Uh, yeah. doesn't exist, but here we are back again. And, um, I mean, there's not a lot of, not a lot of hopium. I just found that one piece, but we still are in this kind of strong dollar situation. Um, 
legacy markets aren't really giving us much. They're still in the same choppy garbage range with downside potential. There's a lot more macro stuff coming out this week, right? Um, if I recall correctly. FOMC on Wednesday, I think. Mm, yeah. So that'd Remember be great. Price, uh, to follow. Do we know what's priced in in terms of? I think the market's expecting 75 bips. Mm. Um, anything more than that is probably not great, and I, I doubt will happen. And you also, you've noticed the pattern of uh, good old Jerome sort of telegraphing the yeah. number via the Wall Street Journal, which is kind of an established practice. What do they uh, say? It seems to be. Well, I think I don't think I've, the, the exact piece has come out yet. If it has, I missed it. But the, the consensus view seems to be a 75 bip hike. Um, so the thing is, you, you see some quite consistent price action around this type of stuff. So if you have FOMC coming up, markets will typically dump and the, the market comes into it like very hedged. And then you get a bit of a pop uh, if the number doesn't sort of beat expectations and it's roughly in line. And you sometimes get the opposite uh, sort of effect, vice versa. So so maybe if you know we're at kind of range lows at the moment, if, if the market's broadly in line with what's expected, there may be a kind of intraday little punt to be had. But I think the bigger picture still sucks, which is that the month on month and you know, month on month inflation still went up, and the expectation was that maybe it would be negative. I think it was zero point. I think it was either zero percent expected month on month change, if not minus zero point one, and then instead it went up, which was you know a beat. Uh, and it also kind of deflated the argument that oh maybe we've seen peak inflation because we'll get like zero percent month on month changes for a couple of months, and then it goes down, and then you can sort of make a case for peak inflation that's sort of data driven. But it, it went up instead, so a lot of those arguments are no longer uh, supported. So it, it, we live in this weird fantasy world where seventy five basis point hike could be you know is potentially short term bullish because it's quote unquote priced in, but <laughs> yeah. there's nothing like fundamentally positive about a seventy five basis point. Uh, hike I, th in I think we're we're nearing that p p place where the seventy five consistent hikes are going to just overdo it as you add three and four of them together. Uh, shout out Delta in the chat market at the moment seventy five percent for seventy five basis points and twenty five percent for a hundred basis points. So it would indicate exactly what you just said there. And uh, thanks for the valuable comment, Mr. Delta or Mrs. Delta, whatever. Um, so. Dollar's still freaking strong. Um, however, this monthly, I mean, <laughs> at what point is there like a reasonable, a reasonably sized red candle? Uh, it's, just, it's just turbo bullish. It's just parabolic. Like even if you go back to the uh, to the 80s, there were at least multi-month down moves in the process, you know? Um, this yeah. time it's different. Yeah, this time it's different, apparently. I mean... It's rough, it's rough out there. Um, during my European trip, I enjoyed parity. I didn't have to do any conversions whatsoever. Oh. Although the uh, the local, oh, I gotta move our heads out of the way. I mean, that's that's how bearish chart. it is. You have to yeah. move our avatars to see the price chart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Although you you Europeans were still trying to charge me uh, like a thirteen percent conversion rate uh, oh. while I was in Europe, so I thought that was a scam, and I just refused to take any euros. Uh, in cash, I paid for everything with cards or dollars. I literally gave people dollars a couple times, and they just looked at me like, "What are you doing?" The it's real like, American look, way. Legend. It's the same thing. It's one to one, guys. Don't fight me on this. <laughs> look at my chart. Look at this moving average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Haven't you seen? Parity's in. Yeah, it's definitely scary. I don't think there's any particularly strong reason to expect dollar weakness for the time being. Um, just in general, that that seems like a very strong trend and. Uh, not something I'm looking to fade. I think we discussed discussed in one of the previous episodes that this is like a multi-year break of a consolidation. So rushing in to fade that in general is not the best. And yeah, it's, it reminds me of the old joke of Alameda looks like it's farming this as some sort of token, <laughs> uh, and you know the chart doesn't look any any different from that. And what's worse is you have the trend that's very strong, and then you look at kind of the appetite for raising rates or creating currency strength, and the U.S. appetite for it seems much uh, heftier yes. than the European appetite, which makes you believe there's no real opportunity for a difference there. So it seems like maybe you have some kind of technical justification for uh, move backs, but not really anything fundamentally that would step in there unless the Fed all of a, all of a sudden becomes much more um, dovish, which would probably only be done because 
financial conditions worsen enough to where they say we can take our foot off the gas. But that just means you're in a recession now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's not a lot of good there. It's just, yeah. Yeah, the whole soft landing premise is really difficult to fathom. Uh, even at face value, if they were so late to raise rates, what could possibly make you think that they will have a timely way of uh, going back to easing or reducing the rate of increase, etc., right? I, I, it seems that the broader prevailing theme is that they got it wrong, and they'd rather overcorrect and maintain credibility than underdo it and uh, you know deal with whatever consequences those may be. So it's, it's, it's definitely tricky. And the data, again, isn't in their favor. They said that forward guidance will be data-driven, et cetera, at that presser uh, a few months ago. But you know again, month-on-month -month inflation went up instead of going down or even staying neutral. So a lot of the kind of soft landing pivot type arguments, they're, they're just not supported at the moment. Uh, maybe some seasonality kicks in and we get some hopium sort of Q4, we get something that looks like peak inflation and stuff kind of ranges and settles and th there's a shift in tone or whatever. But right now, right now, uh, that's at least not my uh, plebeian interpretation of, of, of what's going on. There was a quite cringy uh, Biden interview about inflation where he was trying to justify 8.1 or 8.2 percent inflation. Like, look, it's only up 0.1 percent month over month or something like that. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. the interviewer is like, wait, so you're saying 8% inflation is acceptable? <laughs> you know, like, um, and then he like immediately converts to some really dumb talking points about jobs created since uh, they got an office. It's like, well, we went from shutting down the entire country to kind of back to work. So yeah, sure. You can, you can lean on that, but it was a little, little ridiculous. And, you know, you can see, you can see this uh, confidence in, in rates when you look at two, 10, 30 year yields, like they just keep climbing. Um, massive, I'm on a monthly chart here, massive breakout on two year yields that uh, were next thing is 07, 08 uh, rates. Uh, massive breakout when you look at moving averages and long-term trends on the 10 year. These just don't look like they uh, have any desire to pull back. Like it just seems like a, a comfort in, in higher yields. 30-year um, massive breakout on horizontal and moving average and whatever, like trend line driven. This is this is one of the grossest actually. Like All the I, bad stuff that shouldn't be breaking out is breaking, breaking out basically, out. right? Like, yeah. Like this, this one in particular, hmm. I mean, that's your 30-year 30, 30 government bond yield and it's 3.5% and it looks like it's just on a generational level breakout you know uh a death paradigm shifting trend line violation type of yeah. clickbait headline with this yeah i don't know i think you and i i mean you and i were discussing sort of at the end of last year that the trade seems to be long easing short tightening sort of structurally speaking and even if that doesn't give you the pico top or the pico bottom I mean, you'll at least be on the right side of those types of flows, which is in itself like a huge aid and will make your trading much, much better in general. And we've seen how short-lived and quick to revert a lot of the counter-trend moves in this uh, downtrend have been. Uh, in some cases, there just haven't been any. Uh, and in the cases where they have kind of come up, they've been either sort of very specifically catalyst-driven or short-lived or whatever else. I guess, uh, you know, looking at the screen you've got up now, one of the saving graces and this is like an unpopular opinion to some extent, I suppose, has been how technical the market has been now that liquidity has just completely vanished and everyone's getting wrecked and the, the trends reversed, etc. If you've kept an eye on just basically higher time frame levels and structures and TA as far as the risk indices go, um, they, they've been pretty, uh, you know, adherent to the basics and, you know, they, they haven't made your life particularly tricky. Uh, you know, monthly support to monthly resistance, levels have been good, the breakouts and the reclaims and all that type of stuff have generally been uh, quite useful. Um, and, and I'm sure that's a chart we'll talk about, but as far as, you know, the S&P, et cetera, um, a lot of the strength that crypto was relying on in the last few weeks, you know, some of the pullback levels we talked about closer to 4K or whatever it may be, uh, a lot of that stuff looks rolly now and not not as good as it, it used really to. So we can bad. jump into some coin charts for sure. Yeah, all of them. All of them look bad uh, on those monthly levels. And when you look at Bitcoin in the same lens, it makes levels that I used to just think was Don Turbo Bear posting. <laughs> the, you know, the ten to twelve k, fourteen k, lucky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was kind of like fourteen k is your aggressive buy, <laughs> and <laughs> and seize the opportunity for ten to twelve 
And you just look at this in isolation and it looks perfectly reasonable to go to those types of levels. Um, especially as you compare it to all those, all those sectors and industries that look terrible. Um, do you think to stay on the macro, but switching the macro to crypto, do you think that there's mm -hmm. the AOL moment here for Bitcoin uh, is possible? Um, I mean, as a trader, as far as is possible goes, I have to say yes, you know, just in the realm of possibility. Um, I don't know about full AOL moment because, you know, that that's a very sort of harsh example of defunctness, so to speak. And I don't think um, that that's a concern for Bitcoin per se. Uh, I still think there is some viability to the whole flag bearer, Lindy, first coin, biggest proof of work chain and all, all of, you know, all the mining infrastructure built around it. Um, hard money, so to speak, even if it's not an inflation hedge and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I just think as the kind of for all this time at least or up to now the flag bearer of the crypto space is sort of hard to change decentralized money i would i'd be very scared for the crypto industry if it got completely aol'd and didn't matter at all and there was no appetite for that type of slow moving you know reliable tech and it all becomes just sort of layer one new ponzi vc speculation you know that's a totally a different market to the one and a far less i guess ideological market uh to the one that we're in right now um as far as flipping and all that type of stuff goes i don't know uh, you know there's just looking at that chart and tracking the last few weeks there's certainly an absence of demand for bitcoin generally speaking sort of around these levels and in general uh, and its main bull market driving point slash catalyst, which is, oh, look, we've got this sophisticated institutional holder base now. Uh, that narrative is dead because those guys have either sold or they're massively underwater trying to average, right? The inflation hedge narrative is dead. And if anything, that that's a big dent in its longer term credibility that it's simply tra traded as the NASDAQ, uh, except enjoying none of the upside. That becomes a very tough kind of... <laughs> Uh, portfolio, uh, you know, portfolio theory allocation type of thing for BTC because you're trading NASDAQ with like less upsides. So you might as well trade ETH, Solana, Atom, whatever, all that type of stuff. Uh, all the stock to flow on chain, you know, all the voodoo mysteries that we came up with uh, in this last cycle have also been completely invalidated. Um, you know, stock to, stock to flow being the classic example. And then the minor hash rate floor and all this other stuff is it, it's complete nonsense. So I think narratively, it's very tricky for BTC. Um, I should hope that it doesn't get AOL because that I think that has pretty bad implications for the space. Uh, but I think if this recent evidence is anything to go by, then uh, I don't think people should completely rule out the flipping at some point in the future if if this persists, right? Because um, all, all the narratives are underwater and price performance. Or if, if all you're getting is a kind of Nasdaq basket, that's that's not great. Uh, can I uh, give my thoughts on something that I've been battling with for a while what have you been um, oh i know the yeah i think i know where you're going go on i just Be think just the, the <laughs> yeah i just i just think the flipping is inevitable um i i don't it may that may be the top of eth for a long time when it happens but i think it's just as likely that there's a flipping that occurs that then uh goes on for quite a while that's not to say that i think eth is um necessarily going to perform really really well but I think you could have a scenario like point, uh, what's point one? You know, it'd be like 1K, 10K. And then in, in recovery, um, what if ETH goes up and Bitcoin still hovers? It's like 12K. For, you know what I mean? Like, um, I think that I think that you could have an ETH flipping in a variety of different circumstances, assuming proof of stake is going fine, assuming network activity is fine. I think the the biggest thing against it would be if the regulatory uncertainty continues to escalate, which it's currently escalating severely right now. Like there's a lot of American uh, regulatory scrutiny. Gensler is not ETH's friend, that's for sure. Um, and that would give an opportunity for Bitcoin to make up quite a lot of ground. Um, Dave in the chat just said crypto's failed if that happens. I don't think that that means crypto's failed, but I do think that it would mean like a dark long winter um, that Bitcoin has the network effects. So getting that concept of Bitcoin no longer being the dominant chain and if Ethereum kind of takes over from a, a center point of crypto perspective in market cap, not just activity, because it's already done in activity. ETH has long flippened Bitcoin in 
blockchain relevance and you know haters can can be mad about it but the hodlers and the do not spenders uh really screwed up bitcoin in my opinion because it just incentivized not doing anything um so that flippening has existed for the last couple of years um and if you see it reflected in market cap as well, like it could mean some some dark ages because the regular public is not familiar enough with Ethereum yet. Um, so the network effects are still in Bitcoin's favor in terms of brand recognition, but the proof is not there, right? So I think um, I think we could see uh, this is this is like the ten percent chance, whereas I, I would put the flipping at like greater than fifty percent chance personally. Mm. Um, but the ten percent chance would be like a total domination, like point two, point three, point four type of. It's levels. almost like the Zcash. One Zcash equals seven BTC <laughs> meme. If you remember that, I do, I do. Um, <laughs> and that, that's not to say like it could go to it could do some really tremendously high move like that and then get absolutely wrecked for a year, as you know, um, especially with regulatory uncertainty. I do think the future of ETH is not as a security, is not with this you know, Gensler-ish stance. I think that the U.S. and certainly other countries um, will take a more positive stance towards crypto uh, and and find an avenue for it to exist. Um, But yeah, that's my thesis, I guess. I think that if ETH succeeds through this merge, proof of stake, ETH 2.0, yada, yada, the, the flipping could be closer than most believe. Yeah, if I had to sort of self-criticize on this point and as to why perhaps I'm sort of averse to flippening per se, even though I agree with a lot of the points intellectually, I'd say it's kind of based on history and it's twofold. The first is that just coming up in the crypto space, Bitcoin was the moat for crypto, right? You buy crypto, then you buy altcoins. Uh, And then even when you're trading altcoins, you're trading alt BTC pairs. And even then you're denominating your portfolio in BTC and it was about stacking as much BTC as possible. Uh, So, and the second part of that argument is that historically, again, whenever sort of flipping discussions have become really loud, uh, those have been correlated with crazy market tops and, you know, Bitcoin down 30% and ETH down 70% type of price action, right? The numbers are obviously exaggerated, but that's sort of what I associate it with. Uh, so I, maybe I'm maybe I'm just a boomer and I feel like I owe this kind of debt to Bitcoin because of the history that I've had and seeing market structure involve uh, with it at the forefront. But I mean, for someone new entering the space, certainly if they're not obsessed with steak dinners and Austrian economics and all this other stuff, you can completely understand why their kind of go-to chain becomes just the you know the layer one ecosystems or Ethereum more broadly. Then they go into DeFi, NFTs, etc. Because people want to use shit. People want utility. They want to play around with stuff. They want to break stuff. They want to participate in new stuff, etc. And that kind of behavior isn't just isn't happening on Bitcoin. And as you say, that disincentivizes the types of uh, development that would uh, allow you know facilitate that type of speculation. Now maybe that's a feature, not a bug, as many would argue. That you know it's it moves slowly. It's just pretty much supposed to be money. It's not for speculation. Go somewhere else for your games. This is like a hard money type of principle. I think that's reasonable. Uh, but for new entrants who want to just do stuff. <laughs> uh, I understand why there's the cynicism towards um, Bitcoin in its in its current form, and I think that was pu- that went to an extreme last cycle, and it was punished. Like I remember reading so so many threads being like, "Oh, why would I care about BTC if I'm up twenty thousand percent on Jewel or whatever it may be?" Uh, market structure still kind of commands that you keep an eye on the majors, and for the time being, Bitcoin and ETH are the majors. Now, whether that ratio shifts in what direction. I have a very open mind towards that, but I would feel less comfortable in uh, a market where Bitcoin kind of gets fully AOL'd or becomes irrelevant or that type of thing. Uh, but I think that as Don would be pounding on the drum right now, you know, the trend for ETH BTC seems seems rather clear, even if it, even if it doesn't happen in one candle or based on one event. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it happened. Has to happen all at once. I just still feel like there's a majority of people that think that's never going to happen, and I think that there's a decent chance of that happening. Um, certainly a better chance than maybe what we see in terms of market participants um, and, and what they're, I don't know, I don't even, <clears throat> a lot of people basically just make this assumption that uh, Bitcoin will be the, the top tier crypto for This is how it'll more. be forever. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And there, we have, um, I'm not saying this has to be this way. And I think if, if I see changes in behavior from those who are, 
kind of leading these efforts, then I could change my mind. Um, but you need to see a significant evolution and investment um, from Bitcoin developer communities, for instance, to catch up with the stuff that's happening within the Ethereum ecosystem. And not to say like Ethereum, this is an Ethereum maxi comment. One of the other things you open up with the flipping is, okay, well, who has a chance to flip an ETH, you know, and then you have the chaos environment, right? Like yes, there, yes. uh, and that might be, be quite bearish for everybody. Like there'd be great trades in there, but that might be quite bearish for crypto is like, what are we supposed to buy? All these things are the same. None of them are worth anything. And then, you know, there's a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting potential outcomes there, but I just, I don't see it right now. I think the, I think the Ethereum ecosystem is much, much healthier than the Bitcoin ecosystem. It's going to upset a lot of people, Ledger. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, Should we there... look at some line go boing levels and kind of see what's what's cooking? I can screen share some stuff. Yeah, I've screen share. Here. I've um, I've not, like I, I said this earlier, I've not looked at charts in a while and I just I don't even know, don't even know where to go. So this is Bitcoin. Uh, it's Bitcoin on the weekly time frame. Um, I mean, it's like the, we need to get out of here basically we need to get out of here because the longer the market spends at 20k producing increasingly weak bounces the more reasonable the analogy that 20k is the new 6k becomes and not just reasonable but likely accurate uh, and as you'll recall well yes that ultimately the break of 6k was the bottoming event like everything broke and price halved right <laughs> so in order for that analog not to be valid this range needs the market needs to get out of this range and just simply get out of this consolidation and establish like a, maybe a higher trading range somewhere, whatever it may be. But this this behavior here can't continue because eventually, um, you know, in the low liquidity conditions, low volatility conditions, whatever it may be that follow, it just takes one catalyst and the whole thing rolls over. Uh, so <laughs> it just needs to it needs to leave. You know, that kind of lights lights out as Cred says. Lights out, yeah. Below this level, it's lights out type of thing. So I think 20K just needs to get a move on or produce some bounces that are worth trading. The fact that we didn't even get like a stat bog standard bearish retest of like 28 or 30 candle is kind of depressing. That would at least be decent and again, give us some more, some better and new ranges to trade with. But if this continues just lingering at 20K, I think it's it's fucked and it will do a 6K style move. I don't, I, I find it very hard to fathom that the entire kind of macro shift and the volatility regime shift and all that type of stuff happens at the exact same price level and then it reverses from there. Uh, maybe it doesn't go to like complete doom or spiral le levels, but then you get some sort of failed breakdown eventually and then a reaccumulation and so on. But this kind of flatlining at 20K as a macro bottoming scenario for me is almost a non-starter, kind of mentally less than 5% likelihood, right? Um, as far as deriving levels from that, I think you, we've spoken ad nauseam about this kind of daily range that's between sort of 23K and 19K. You can, kind of, you can see how good it's been at the extremities, as they say, don't diddle in the middle. Um, but this is the CPI print rejection, full daily engulfing. And now it's reached the other side of the range, which is support. So kind of your intra-week range for our audience is between 19K-ish for BTC as support and I guess 20, 21K as resistance uh, if there's any strength whatsoever in this market with the larger range still being between 19 and 22.5, 22.6. So I guess BTC is at support. Uh, I'm not a person, I, I might short term trade this if I see something good, but structurally or on a swing basis, given this is a weekly show, uh, I, I, I'm not terribly fond of rebuying this level. Um, no one's ever said fifth test, best test when it comes to support <laughs> structures. You know, that that's not one of the <laughs> monikers that I've seen on trading courses and t-shirts and so on. And I think uh, this might be the last decent bounce you get from this structure. But if it comes back like a sixth or seventh time, each time your gamble becomes exponential and the likelihood of just a, this whole thing breaking down becomes higher. So I think there were some good trades to be had at this range low early on. Uh, for me, this may be the last one and all those opportunities are, are running a bit thin. Uh, and, you know, higher timeframes, where does that leave us? If we take like a really zoomed out type of view, uh, at the moment, the structure just seems to be, you know, large breakdown, consolidation, and in general, you expect consolidations to resolve in the direction of the preceding impulse, which in this case would be down. And the exceptions to that would be, again, some sort of clear failed breakdown that gets soaked up at earlier levels. And at least at that point, your risk is defined and you can trade the range or do whatever else. Uh, that will be invalidated. Or as I said, just get the hell out of here and, you know, maybe reclaim Betty K and do some stuff above there, et cetera. But that doesn't seem, at least with the available evidence, terribly likely. I think everyone at this point knows the larger puke levels that everyone's talking about be it 16, 17, 14, 12, 10, whatever, the basic premise is that we're currently trading at previous cycles extremities. 
And then if that rolls, we trade deeper within previous cycles levels, uh, which are anywhere sort of between your, that's your kind of 10 to 14 uh, sort of existential panic longs. So we're at the side previous cycle extremes, uh, all the wicks is one way to consider it. And then we'd be at previous cycles kind of candle bodies uh, and decline wise, that would leave us, you know, something that's more in tandem with previous cycles, which is sort of in the 80%-ish, uh, maybe a bit more for like the extremity or the wick um, type of correction. So, you know, all eyes on 20K needs to get the hell out of there. Either a failed breakdown is good, break up and establish new trading range is good, flatlining here um, is, is not good. And your puke scenario is sort of, you know, whatever candle bodies you see before this, this entire before this entire run up, I think is the best best way to look at Bitcoin. Def um, definitely feels like right now, owning your owning Bitcoin right now, you're uh, you're in a fear of breakdown rather than a confidence yeah. of buying capitulation. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, the forced capitulation at the the gap down somewhere under fifteen k um, feels like a much comfier buy. Whereas right now you're just like holding your breath, hoping that it bounces. Um, there's not a, it doesn't seem like a high confidence trade. Yeah. And it's not a terrible trade short term. I mean, if you're buying of the bottom, buying the bottom of the range, I'm never really going to shake a stick at you type of thing. But in terms of macro structure and all the big picture stuff we've talked about, I think there's only so much 20 K can do. Uh, and it's for me, at least reaching its reasonable limits uh, in this quarter. Uh, yeah. My comment has no difference between like, uh, 18, eight and 23, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like there's a $5,000 range there that what I just said means the same thing. You're, yeah, hold, yeah. you're holding your breath in that range. Um, as long as you and, don't look on the monthly, you're fine ledger. You know, that's, that's <laughs> do the monthly, the monthly pretty much across all markets just looks like yeah, yeah. death. Um, on the each side, um, you'll, the audience will recall my favorite ETH daily ranges and they've been very good and the clusters based around them. So the range low was sort of the 1700 to the 1900 level. Uh, and then the one below us was sort of between 1200 and 900-ish as its structure. Uh, and we also boxed out the clusters at those levels. As you, you remember this from previous weekly open as well, Ledger, this kind of consolidation here ended up being picture perfect on the retest and sort of down only since then. Uh, I'm seeing some early buying come in, uh, at least on Twitter and stuff, uh, when it comes to this retest level as to where the market is right now. Uh, for me, it hasn't quite gotten, it's not there yet. It's like, right, I understand it's right being, at wick to wick. Yeah, uh, it's at wick to wick. And for me, I mean, you know me, I'm a candle body guy. I don't shame anyone's preferences, but for me, it's the bodies, not the wicks. Uh, that make me excited. So uh, I, I still think, just like I thought when we were up here, uh, that I'd want the market to trade a bit within this range, given how active the uh, 1700 to 2K range was. I, I think there's a decent chance uh, that we see a deeper push and get to get to poke and prod at some of these levels uh, on the daily. So that's kind of my main chart. On the weekly time frame, uh, I, I think Don is a bit more comfortable here. For me, this is kind of just like a weekly breakdown, right? This was the initial kind of merge run up high broke down lower high and then a kind of not full weekly engulfing but certainly the type of weekly time frame a uh, weekly candle sorry that breaks structure by making a lower low uh, so so i think don's got some support around previous cycles levels at like 1300 to 1400 this this type of consolidation here uh, and i think that's totally reasonable for like short term trades perhaps uh, but i'm kind of tunnel visioning on my daily ranges more so than anything else uh, but big picture it just kind of looks like a lower high uh, the news just, you know, ETH was down like, what, 10% two days in a row or something around the merge time. Like, if that's not evidence of sell the news, I'm not entirely sure what is. It sort of just fit that, uh, that fit those parameters perfectly. And now you're scrambling for some level of support to maybe give you a lower high in the context of a more recent weekly lower low. So I'm not terribly enthralled uh, by this type of price action. And it seems to be ticking all the boxes of what you'd expect from a market which has uh, undergone a more, more of a Selva news event. And if anything, if you need more evidence of that, I think ETH BTC uh, at the moment is, is showing some of it, or at least uh, recently recently was. Um, I don't have to go to the monthly, but it's it's a good one for this extremity. Uh, I did just say I'm a candle body guy, but this wick is just very good. <laughs> just above 08. Well, there's a body can, There's a body there too. Don't worry. There's a body. Yeah, look, I can, you know, we can start making shit up and making ourselves feel better, right? If you want to go like that with the perfect candle close, but, you know, it's the same area, roughly around 0.08. Uh, and it's it's kind of been kind of been down only since then, uh, and this to me seems to be a break of structure. And I think you had a nice Ethly weak chart, but if you know the, the trade that one of the reasons Don was so bullish, and I think the market as a whole uh, got a signal for ETH BTC was the failed breakdown that took place at around 0.05 or 
thereabouts, sort of here. You've got a failed breakdown, then the market reaches the top of the range, and then bearish engulfing for the downside. So, like, this isn't a range breakout from the available evidence. This, you know, and the fact that this happened right into news as well kind of lends credibility to the fact that this is some sort of top, short term, medium term, whatever it may be. It's at resistance into news with a very hype narrative and then a strong sell off. And I think your next kind of port of call is the midpoint between those two, which I think is, you know, falls around 0 0.06, 0 0.07. Yeah, close to 0 0.07, obviously, you know. Uh, as the support structure between those two. But bigger picture, I think a lot of the market was hoping that the merge would be the breakout catalyst for ETHBTC of this multi-year, or at least kind of, yeah, you know, it's like a year-long range, and it hasn't been. Uh, it's at support now, as you can tell, but uh, again, just the, the overlap of um, big resistance into big news and the event kind of just nuking ETH, USD and ETH BTC. Um, I, I really think that we're, I think the merge will re-emerge, no pun intended, again, um, sort of as next cycle's bull narratives. So when you have all these bankers writing their PDFs and bank research, etc., they'll be saying, oh, look, he transitioned to proof of stake and it was seamless and DeFi and NFTs and TVLs and it's deflationary and EIP and all this other stuff. I think the the, the merge is a really good kind of future catalyst for when allocators are uh, looking to be more aggressive within crypto, uh, especially if the ESG thing picks up after a shitty winter or whatever it may be, the argument will be, oh, well, look, ETH successfully kind of 99% of its ocean boiling capacity is gone and now it's so friendly and safe and look at all this economic activity that's on ETH, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in the short term, the merge is a really good driver for prices. I think for next cycle slash in the medium to long term, it's a great driver for prices. I think in the short term now, the event having passed, uh, I wouldn't be taking trades purely based on uh, that premise. I am very curious if... NFTs or ETH, whatever, like if anything has retail attention enough in any near future to even have those debates, like what are those people that complain about the environment? Like, what are they going to say? <laughs> you know, they're just going to always find something else, right? Like, yeah, thing. if you hate something, you'll find other angles to hate it. Um, and especially with a lot of the gamer community, which hates crypto, um, they have a, an understandable aversion towards the financialization of the things they love in general. And that's sort of what crypto does. So there's always another angle, be it like Ponzi schemes or market manipulation or this, that and the other. It's just the energy one was the lowest hanging fruit. We've maybe won back some ground by taking that away from them. But I, th I don't think there's any shortage of reasons to hate crypto, uh, especially given how this last cycle blew up. <laughs> you don't need to look very far to point fingers at bad actors. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So one of the things that happened with the merge, and I think, I think you're right. This was it was a sell the news. We it's unknown if it's a turbo forever trend like futures 2017 launch for Bitcoin, or if it's not. kind of a like what we've seen in happenings before is that you know Bitcoin dumped for a few days after the actual happening and then kind of recollected itself because the fundamentals did improve. And I think that might be what we're looking at here with ETH, or it's just my bags talking, not sure. Um, but something that we definitely saw, which I find interesting, is uh, do do we have a uh, fool me once, fool me twice scenario for Adam relative to ETH? Because the one thing that moved really aggressively uh, was a rotation trade with Cosmos. And I don't know if you've been noticing kind of this bullish accumulation stairs up type of stuff going on with Adam. Uh, but I want to show it relative to ETH first, uh, just because it's once again at the top of a multi-year range that so goes back to 2021. Um, really interested in, in what, what happens there. Uh, but when I go to the Adam daily chart, it's just like walking up these stairs off the lows and sitting at some moving average stuff that I always like to pay attention to. And it makes me wonder, could this be finally the time where Adam has its moment? And there's big Adam believers out there. Um, Adam has great tech, yada, yada. Do you think uh, this is a narrative worth paying attention to? I hate this daily chart, to be clear. Those really? Types of bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those types of really diagonal trends, which don't base out at all. Once they hit resistance, they just engulf the whole thing. Like, you know, the stairs up, elevator down. That, yeah, that's like the immediate PTSD One candle back to $8. Literally one candle. <laughs> it reminds me of Bitcoin from like, do you remember the 70, from like 7,400 or 7,900 down to 6K in like one candle? Mm -hmm. uh, sort of reminds me of that. That's a very boomer reference. Uh, so the, the, the way that daily trend is shaping up, I'm not a huge, huge fan of. Um, I think as far as Atom ETH goes, it's a nice looking chart. 
but my view on it is very boring, which is that like it, it's an eternal range, as you mentioned, right? So until I see a really good reason to think that it's going to break out and trend, I'm going to assume it's an eternal range because by definition, it's been ranging eternally, right? Uh, I'm sure every single time it's come up to that resistance, people have said this time it's different, and you know, see you at the range lows has been the market's answer to them. So <laughs> I've in uh, fact I, been one of these people. I, yeah. I, I'm certain I'm speaking I've to one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You can find me in these charts up at these levels. I'm sure of it. <laughs> As a seller, obviously, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what you meant. I'm never, saying, never an optimist. Range. And uh, look, I think there might be an interesting trade there simply because there, there's such an absence of interesting trades in the market in general. So we, we, we might see a similar type of capital concentration where there's like no other game in town. Uh, but I really think with uh, FOMC and other headlines and macro stuff this week, uh, to me at least that matters a lot more. Uh, if you want to tag on to this atom secular ish looking trend and punt it i think that's reasonable uh but i think it's just telling of broader market conditions where there's only like one or two coins which don't look appalling and have your attention and maybe you want to trade those along with anyone else who's left in a purely pvp type of environment and i don't know enough about kind of fundamentals or news on this specific instrument to be able to be more helpful beyond that but as we've seen with bitcoin eth and the nasdaq it's you know cpi is in charge it's not the merge it's, it's not any of this stuff uh macro is still very much uh, in the driver's seat which i was surprised to find out was a controversial opinion when i tweeted it but there we go there you go it this does seem like one of those where like hey, if you liked adam at 15 you'll love it at 10. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then it and then it walks the stairs once again. Um, I just have noted there's been a lot of relative strength on this coin, and it interests me. Of course, by the time I get convinced of it, it's probably the turbo top. So, I mean, look, if your argument is I've got Bitcoin at range low, I've got ETH at a pullback-ish level, uh, and I want to buy the coin that's been really strong, so I'm going right. to punt Atom. I think if you've got that like multi-layered thesis, that's pretty reasonable. Um, on its own or expecting like a chain link type of behavior or secular trends, et cetera. You just got to realize that that's the exception to the rule for the most part. Yeah. So if you've got and, like a big boy thesis. And you can if you're them. wrong on those range lows, you're going to be doubly wrong on oh, man. trying to yeah. buy the strength. That's always the cost, right? You like sort of the, the, the traditional way of doing it is you build the directional uh thesis on BTC and ETH. And then if you want to uh, roll the dice with a bit more risk, then you pump altcoins instead of buying BTC and ETH when they're at support in the, in the expectation that if BTC and ETH go up one to 5%, your altcoin will go up like 10 to 20%. But obviously, as you mentioned, if you're wrong, especially if you're wrong in the type of area in the market where there might be a liquidity vacuum, if stuff breaks, then you're basically poor when uh, if you're on the wrong side of that. Yeah, I can can already see it. Do you have uh, any scary S&P FUD, by the way, or charts or anything macro scary, given we're, in, uh, we're heading into FFOMC this week? I've got some FUD levels. If um, Yeah, I um, I don't like the weeklies. They are in no man's land, and I loathe the monthly. Uh, loathe the monthly. <laughs> I mean, that is just... This looks like a complacent market to me, Yeah. all in all. Um, and... In an inflationary environment, I could see like a spy or even a Dow, like Dow slash uh, uh, Nasdaq type of trade, like a pair trade, working mm. okay. But I don't, I don't get excited about any, any of <laughs> this these. This is what we've come indexes. to, Ledger. This is how shitty the market is. We're doing yeah. legacy pair trades instead of just like. Well, what are we supposed to do, man? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, it's ugly out there. There's nothing nothing that excites me. Um, I pulled up energy as a chart earlier, but we didn't look at it. But three months of pullback, um, the companies within energy are still doing well because there's confidence in their ability to make profit with 80 plus dollar oil. Um, but oil itself, 125 to 80 is a pretty rough uh, pullback. So like all your late longs are getting absolutely blown out there. But I do think the energy argument is still going to be very strong. Um, and I don't like any of these indexes. I hate this monthly chart. I hate it. Uh, just I've got some monthly FUD for you. Yeah, um, go on for my it. Screen share for the S and P. Um, and again, one of the things I mentioned earlier was that the kind of saving grace for people who've been understandably unwilling to navigate macro is that the high time frame technicals on these things have been more than decent if you're sufficiently patient. 
Uh, so we wrote about in Technical Roundup, for example, that the market was headed into monthly support at this 37, 3600 handle, this kind of mini cluster before the final melt up uh, as a support structure, and that the resistance uh, target for it was this kind of pre-breakdown cluster closer to 43, 44s. Uh, and that's been kind of picture perfect for the most part, right? Monthly support looks really scary, bounces, engulfs, monthly resistance just completely engulfs, and you know that's been very technical. I think your best case scenario almost is that this remains your range for the foreseeable future. And maybe you get some sort of like breakdown below, but ultimately you want this to be your, you know, the value area within the, within which the market oscillates. And then you can carve out potentially a case of uh, crypto and everything else not going to zero. The issue is this type of monthly structure for the most part, technically speaking, is good for like a first test, best test bounce. Uh, but ultimately it's not like an amazing structure, uh, especially with how good the levels are below it. Uh, and I think the post, you know, the pre-pandemic highs and the cluster built around them, this consolidation, that's kind of real monthly support compared to this sort of interim monthly support. And for those listening, that's sort of between, what, 35 and 3,300 for the S&P as a kind of meaty block, if you will, which sounds like it's got nothing to do with trading, but, you know, bear with me. Uh, that seems to be where, quote unquote, real monthly support is, or at least if, we, if you're going to get a breakdown through the lows, that's that's the first uh, higher time frame area to pay attention as we like to say, um, and that's that you know that doesn't look great, but at least it's something. Uh, on the weekly, I think a lot of the bull theses that we've had, again, that's TH, not FAE. Uh, a lot of those bull theses have been built on this kind of over/under structure around the 3900 handle, uh, which is you know previous area of lows. We sort of traded below them and then you know broke out above, and that looked like an over/under or inverse head and shoulder type of structure. Is where we caught a bid. Uh, last week. And then if you look at the most recent full week of price action, it's about as bad as it gets relative to how important this level is, whereby you had a full weekly engulfing, which is to say a move above previous week's high, which then closed at slash below uh, previous week's low. And also in doing so below that level of support, that just looks like a breakdown to me. So you have a weekly breakdown in a larger downtrend coming off of resistance uh, with a more attractive monthly areas of support um, below you. So that that's definitely something I'm uh, keeping an eye on as far as S&P monthly and weekly goes. There are some juicy targets below. The slightly faster moving timeframes like the weekly and daily also seem to be losing levels of support. So I'm not terribly optimistic there. Um, also, I think one point I want to mention in general is people talk about reclaim setups a lot, uh, and those setups are really good, but it's worth bearing in mind that in a strong trend, you shouldn't have a base expectation of reclaim setups, right? They're kind of the exception to the rule. Like generally, when you have a strong trend, uh, sort of price follows delta. So if sellers are being really aggressive, price will generally follow through and that'll be the direction of the trend. By definition, a reclaim setup, setup is an exception to that where delta kind of acts one way, uh, but then the market is willing to soak it up and move the other way. But that's not that shouldn't be your base expectation for every time support breaks. Sometimes support just breaks and it's not kind of just being broken to be reclaimed or some other uh, future thing. And I think, you know, similar views for the NASDAQ, which is to say it's at a decent level of monthly support as in the form of this sort of 12.1 to 11.1K cluster, which is better. Uh, but even within that consolidation, you can kind of see that it closed below the upper boundary of that range, if you want to treat it that way. Uh, and then that kind of leaves basically the lows uh, as your target if, it, if it's going to act or, or continue to act very technically. And it has been, right? That's also another thing. It's not like we're simply projecting these levels onto the market. It has, it just has been a very technical market. Uh, and I'm going to continue to pay attention to it as long as it plays ball. But for the time being, you know, none of it looks particularly um, compelling. I feel like more than anything, we're just seeing the setting in of stagflation where uh, you're having this massive repricing between growth companies not justifying growth prices and uh, established profitable companies maintaining much stronger multiples. And you're, the way that presents doesn't necessarily mean the market has to go to zero, but it's probably not going to go to new all-time highs, you know, uh, and, and or see like dramatic trend shifts for quite some time. And everything I'm looking through while you were talking about some of the strength uh, or the trends on the indexes, I'm looking through like individual stocks and SPACs and different things. And then like the, the performance is so varied and it seems to be highly attached to the fundamentals of the, of the entities. Um, you know, SPACs absolutely massacred uh, uh, stuff that was supposed to have $10 floors. You remember that meme that's trading oh, at like sub $1. Um, and 
you know, the, the big growth stuff, the big growth narratives of like COVID just obliterated uh, your Zooms and stuff of the world. And then you go look at, you know, the energy companies and they're on nearly at the highs. Um, you look at some of the, the narratives that can produce yield and cash in any market environment are maintaining strength. And now we just have to think, how does crypto fit into that narrative? Are we all, does all of crypto just trade like one of these SPACs? Like, you know, the whole thing is a meme or is there some inherent uh, growth story that has real fundamentals behind it within? Um, definitely tells me to stay far away from the long tail of crypto for a long time to come um, and look, seek out something that has better fundamentals, real real opportunity, but there's no froth in the market. It's not a lift all markets type of environment. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think there's a point to be made about coupling and decoupling. We're still very much in um, macros hands. Coupled. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you know, big week ahead type of vibes going on. <laughs> didn't uh, Barry, I, didn't Barry tweet small week ahead? Small week. Yeah, I, I can't listen to that man. Seriously, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what to, what to make of him at this point. Uh, but I think if there's ever going to be a decoupling, um, it'll well, I think there will be, and but I think the likelihood of that decoupling increases almost as prices goes down, prices go down and market caps go down, where it gets to a point where there's so many stable coins and the valuations are just so broken and everything is just so small that the likelihood for decoupling is higher when the prices are lower because you need less money to push this stuff around, and that's when you're Hopefully, whatever's left of crypto native wealth, <laughs> you know, the few desks that haven't blown up and all, you know, people willing to put on just kind of outright deltas, that that's when they start slugging. And maybe crypto is kind of the first out the gates and has a faster recovery or kind of front runs legacy a bit, whatever form that may take. Uh, I just think people arguing for decoupling, you know, around when inflation started to set in at the start of the year uh, were on something. Uh, you know, they should thank their dealer for whatever they're getting. Uh, but when it comes to like significantly lower prices and market caps, you at least have to keep an open mind for decoupling because at that point, it really doesn't take much to, to, to push things around and, you know, push out those correlation bots for lack of a better term. I like it. Let's leave it there. Thanks everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it. Great to be back. Sorry for the two week break, but we hopefully will see you again in one week. Thanks also to our partners over at FTX. Go to uh, weeklyopen.com slash FTX. You can trade there today directly from one asset to the other. Also check out their other products. We've been talking a lot about stocks. You can trade stocks on FTX these days, whether you're on the US or .com or the app. Uh, do it on FTX. Weeklyopen.com slash FTX and weeklyopen.com outright if you want to check out other episodes, get in touch, whatever. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.